0: Welcome to documentary first, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast, and with me is our first-time filmmaker Christian
1: Taylor. Hey, Josh Lindsay. Hey, everybody.
0: And with us, as always, is our trusty, dusty research extraordinaire, sound and awesome note taker, note taker guy,
1: <laughs> Jason Rugg. Hey, hey Jason Rugg. <laughs> Got you another job today. Yeah, yeah. It's good. we right,
0: we're gonna try and make this title longer and longer as we go <laughs> on. Okay, so last time we spoke, we heard lots about La La Land and having your true north and and just you know dealing with life as you are sucked into production and it overtakes your world. Um, before that, we had talked about you being with Bill in Nashville editing, and we didn't get to hear a whole lot about the process. So. You're down there, you're running out of money, you run out of money. Yeah. And then you ask for one more day. Bill gives it to you, and then the money shows up. Very exciting. Yes. So what was the process of editing like? Because it was just the two of you, right?
1: Right. So we were, it was the two of us in his very high-tech garage, as he calls it, which I that, might That's add. where all
0: great things start, right? <laughs> in the garage.
1: <laughs> I really do love that, actually. You know, it reminds me of Phil Vischer making veggie VeggieTales in his, you know, closet or bedroom or whatever, you know. Um, it, it is kind of cool. I really do like the struggle part Of this, our story, like uh, it, there's something super sweet about it not having a lot of money and having to, you know, put your faith in, uh, in whatever. For me, it's the Lord uh, to answer your prayers and bring your needs.
0: Well, certainly, hindsight, you feel that (laughs) way, right? (laughs)
1: Well, no, (laughs) maybe not in the midst of it. No, that is not true, and I'll tell you why. I have learned over time that it is the difficult, hard things in life that bring the most fruit. And so where I I used to think that problems were bad, and it meant I was doing a bad thing, um, or or where I wanted to brace to avoid the problems, I still don't like problems, and I still don't invite them, and I do wish for the best in everything, but I'm no longer afraid of them. And not only that, I've been able to thank the Lord for them, Um, you know, One thing I didn't tell you, but I just love this story, Um, I was, it's same dark night of the soul time. I am, um, my son, who was kind of struggling in school, was coming for a lacrosse game in Alabama, and I really wanted to check on him face-to-face. I drove to Alabama, I saw him, and then I had to rush back. Like, I mean, it's two hours, it was at night. It was crazy what I did, but I had to see my son. It's the family balance part. And so I'm driving back the next morning, knowing I don't have any money, knowing you know I've got lots of problems with crew things, et cetera. And I had read in my quiet time that, you know, that morning about, it, I was reading in the Old Testament about how the tabernacle would move and the Lord would lead the Israelites by a cloud during the day and a fire at night. That was in the back of my head. It was raining and sort of storming outside. And I was you know, feeling like, oh, this is so typical. You know, it's a hard day. And this song came on by Unspoken called Sleep in the Storm. Do you know this song? I do not. Oh my gosh, it's such a great song. And it talked about how, you know, I just need to be able to sleep in the storm. The waves and the wind push me to you. And I was so identified with this. Huh. I'm like, that's right. Because I mean, every day I was reading my Bible, I was really clinging to my faith. I was on my knees, literally praying and asking the Lord for things. And um, and I began to thank him for those trials because it drew me closer to him. It drew me closer to others that I shared my problems with. So they would pray or encourage me. You know, we were walking together. And all of a sudden, I look up, and in front of my window, there's this huge bird of prey. I don't know if it was a falcon, but in my mind, it was an eagle or, you know, a hawk or something, but it was as big as an eagle. And it's flying right in front of me in this rainstorm, just diving and playing in the wind. Hmm. And And then I thought... I don't know why this came to my mind, but I thought, wow, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. God led the Israelites by a cloud and fire, not a rainbow.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> cloud and fire is how he chose to present himself in some sort of form to them. And I was like, Huh. Well, I guess I better be comfortable with the clouds and the fire <laughs> and thank the Lord for them because it teaches me about myself, about others, about my faith. So so anyway, I get back into the studio with Bill. I tell him this revelation. The money then comes. We move forward and we thank him for all of these trials. And um We set out to find all the ones in front of us. (laughs) Uh, One of the biggest challenges that we have had all the way along has been the French interviews because I speak English. I don't speak French. uh, Bill does not speak French. um, And so we had to have them subtitled before we were able to
0: understand them. So let me ask you a question before you jump in that when you were filming – those individuals who only spoke French, you were there for most of those, right? I was. Who else was there? Great
1: question. (laughs) So um, we had a very small team. I mean, there was like Ten on our team that we took, and we had three um, people in France. Um, one of the most wonderful treasures I found was a woman by the name of Michelle Phoenix and Michelle Phoenix was a podcast listener, but she also was in my church at Blanchard oh. and I had just never met her and she's you know started listening to the podcast. She is a Canadian and a French citizen and a United States citizen so she has citizenship in all three places she speaks fluent. French and fluent English, and she thinks on her feet, like she thinks quickly, and she has great people skills." And so when I was interviewing her and I was showing our French interviews that I did from pre-production in 2017, she said, you know, you've really got a problem here. You really need to do live translation. And I was like, what do you mean? And she showed me how doing live translation would be helpful in the midst of the interview because then the interview subject could bond with me, talk directly to me and not through an interpreter. And so I went back to my team and I was like, how are we going to do this? And they're, Anything that we could use to do that was cost prohibitive. And so my genius, intelligent you know, partner, Terry John, figured out a way that we could do live translations for maybe like 40 bucks. Okay. That saves you you some money. (laughs) Yeah. So he found these two little earpieces online, and he gave them to the people that are interpreting. He gave one to Michelle. We put Michelle in another room. She used a microphone. I used an earpiece. So I would ask the questions. She would translate it to the interview subject. The interview subject would answer. She would translate it to me. And so we were having a conversation in as quick time as you could. Okay. But the problem is, you know, we're filming this in July. There's tons of chaos. I'm filming 31 French interviews. We get back to the United States. You think I'm going to remember what was said? (laughs) No. I mean, I remember big overarching themes of their story. But when you're editing, you have to have very specific words, you know, and phrases and, and understand how to stitch those together. So... Um we had hoped that someone back in the United States would be able to help us with that, a young lady. And then when my partner interviewed us, he realized that was not going to work and that he would have to be the one to subtitle the interviews. And so that we discovered that around late October, early November. And then my partner had a lot of challenges and was not able to do that. Um, and so that... Pushed us all the way through the 1st of January, where we were like, we have to have a solution immediately. And he was able to work with Happy Scribe to put the interviews into this translation system, which then we would run through Google Translate, which we would then pass to Michelle Coupe, our producer in France, who's bilingual and a transcriber, translator. And then she would have to correct it in an SRT file, which is a closed caption file, so that we could insert it into these interviews. So that was the best we could do on such a short timeline. Mm-hmm. And that allowed us to get subtitles embedded in the videos for, in four weeks. So by the end of January, we had those subtitles in the French videos. Um, but at that point Bill had to begin laying out the assembly edit of the first script which took him basically the next 3 weeks till the you know 20th or something of February which is when I saw the assembly edit which I realized we had a major problem Got it So then that's when I went down there and then we still had other problems with the subtitles that caused us problems in the edit <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right so just to get started on the 6 week editing Extravaganza work, yeah, in, <laughs> in Tennessee. You were faced with the, the, the subtitle problem. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. So now, but now you're in Nashville or mm-hmm. no, you're in Tennessee, uh-huh. and you're working with Bill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you've got challenges, subtitles being one of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you've got this assembly edit you don't like. Mm-hmm. Are you on the computer moving things around, or are you directing Bill? How, what's so the this is the here? setup. The okay. setup
1: in his little uh, high-tech garage is Bill, the first thing Bill had to do was buy a huge TV monitor, which was <laughs> a conversation that he had to have with his wife. <laughs> that was quite funny. But we were shopping in Walmart for a big TV monitor. So he got a big TV monitor. He installed it. He had this two iMac computers, and he set up a folding table for me behind him. So I'm sitting behind him. I've got two computers out myself. um, And I can see what he's doing. We can talk. So that's how it started. But the first thing I had to do was I had to write a script. Mm, So when we first were starting, I was working off Julie's script, and I realized that you know I was using some of her quotes, but I really had to rewrite it. So I was sort of rewriting from the beginning, and he would just edit a little bit ahead of me. You okay. know, and so we were. I was writing, and he was editing it as we were going. Wow. So that was super hard. Um, <clears throat> Probably, I would guess, not the typical way to do oh, it. Oh no, gosh, it's time. totally not <laughs> okay, ideal. Right. I mean, the other thing is the. I cannot say enough how important translation, transcriptions, and proper subtitling is before you begin a bilingual edit. And I know this won't apply to everybody because most people who are American will be smart and do their documentary in English. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I got a quick way to solve that problem. <laughs> Just don't do it in another language. Right, exactly.
1: That is that is a great way. But if you do have another language that you're working with, um, it's I cannot stress enough how important it is to have all, and this is true actually in English, to have all of your interviews transcribed. Why would you think you need to have all of your interviews transcribed before you begin? So
0: you can see it on paper and find stuff faster than watching all the video.
1: Exactly. (laughs) You're you're a lot—you read a lot faster than you do watching video. Sure. Now, so so my translator would have to take all of those, you know, French people— Translate them in English so that we could read them, so that we could pull out quotes that we would want to use. The problem comes and came for me was that because the subtitle and the translation stuff weren't great, I was, I really had no idea what the people were really saying. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't you just have placeholders though? I mean, like. No, you, because I'm having to write a script based on exactly what people say. No,
0: I know, but but you have it written down on paper. You
1: know that's what they said, right? But what I'm saying is, I think I do. Because, but like, so for example, let me take uh, Eric Bullock. Eric Bullock is one of our um, uh, historians. He works, he's a curator at the Airborne Museum in St. Mary's. He is passionate. He is a quick talker. He has tons of information and it was all really, really good. But after putting it through Happy Scribe and then Google Translate and then putting in an SRT file, trying to read what he wrote was impossible. Mm. It made no sense. Okay. <laughs> and so I could not read through that and be like – You know, And that happened on multiple levels. And then we have people who aren't as articulate. So I have one person who she's wonderful, but she's not a great storyteller, and her stories are all over the place. So I would have to take a line from here, a line from this interview, a line from this interview, and figure out how to stitch them together. But if the lines aren't exactly what she says, Mm -hmm. I can't do that. Mm. So that meant my translator had to do a lot more work basically to re-translate everything that was badly translated through that whole subtitle debacle. Um, So that was a problem.
0: Yeah. This is stressing (laughs) me out. I know. It is
1: so (laughs) stressful. All right. So so
0: you got a giant monitor. Bill's editing a a few minutes ahead of you I guess while you're writing the script.
1: He was also pulling out – now what he would do when I was writing – He would go through our French interviews, he would read through the translations, he would pull things that he thought we could use that were close to what we were talking about. Um, And he was digesting, like you have to remember, we're just working behind. So we have 31 people that were trying to read their transcripts and digest all their information. And so that was a lot of the first beginning, digesting all this information. And then when you read what they have said that's on paper, you then have to look at the video. So when you look at the video, it is, there are so many variables that could make that section unusable. Mm. Yeah. So perhaps they don't tell the story well. Perhaps they have a hair in their eye, or perhaps the camera is not focused at the right angle or isn't even in focus, or perhaps they dropped the candle camera, all of which have happened. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the sound wasn't correct. Perhaps, um, you know, perhaps the lighting's off. So even on paper, when you find something that you think is a gem, you go back and see if it will actually be usable. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that can sink you right there. And that happened a million times. Like, one of the crux of our stories is with Valerie Gauthier-Cardin. She it, met her first veteran at, like, 14 or 15. She then, um, she then like, went down to... Um, Later to take this guy to a ceremony, a woman comes up. You know, he's been late to every ceremony because he's so afraid of what he and his men did at St. Lowe. He thinks all the French will hate him. Mm. So he's late, dragging his feet. He gets to the ceremony, and this woman This beautiful woman in yellow comes up to Valerie and says, I really would like to talk to the veteran that you have. I'm from St. Lowe, and I want to tell him how thankful I am that he liberated our city. So she introduces him to Bob. She tells Bob how much it meant... And he became another man. Hmm. Like he started dancing, he started, you know, waving at everybody. And she tells this incredible story, which is like a hinge pin for our story, that the French's gratitude and love toward the veterans for what they did, despite the destruction that they caused, liberates them when they get to Normandy. And we lose, for whatever reason, both of our cameras in the middle, at the, at the apex of her story. One drops, the other one we go to, and it's not any better. So we have 25 seconds during the most critical part of her story that we have to have in our film that we can't use video for. Do you have sound for it? We do have sound for it, but what do you need if you do not have video and you only have sound?
0: Uh, pictures, G- Great B-roll. <laughs> B-roll. <laughs> great B-roll.
1: Exactly. And so Valerie is telling a story that happened many years ago, and guess who doesn't have any photos of this event? Uh, hmm. Valerie. In fact, the person that did have photos, her computer crashed and she lost all of her photos. Oh. no! So as of today, and this is hilarious. Last night, I finally find out, I thought Bob was had passed away. Bob's alive. Wait, wait.
0: Like recently you thought he passed away?
1: I I thought during this whole time over the last year that he was not alive. She was telling the story about a veteran who had passed away. So I was asking everybody for photos. Nobody has photos. We have twenty-five second black hole in our film. You know, what am I gonna do? So yesterday I was speaking by Facebook message to Valerie and I'm like, what are we gonna do? You know, how can I find photos for Bob? you know, when did he pass away? I'll look him up. And she's like, he's still alive. I was like, what? I'm just finding this out today. He's still alive. It's a miracle. (laughs) So now I have a phone number and an email and I can ask Bob directly, but here we are at the 11th hour. Why did not someone tell me this six months ago? So anyway, this is the sort of stuff you deal with.
0: All right. Um, Well, it's very exciting. Well, um, I, why don't we go ahead and wrap up this episode. Um, so you and uh, Bill are in the garage. He's editing. You're writing. You're dealing with the struggles of, of the—
1: Family, uh, finances. Finances. finances, subtitles.
0: Subtitles. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. So when we pick up, let's, let's talk more about, um, I guess, Bill's—you're Bill's relationship as you know director, producer, and writer working with— Editor. Sure. He plays a key, key oh role. Oh my gosh, you have no idea. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, hey everyone. Thanks for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell,
1: and you can be the one to tell it. Bye, everybody.